Welcome to Bibliophiles, a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network. In today's episode, the Center for Lit team continues its quest to discover the great ideas in books of every description, ancient classics to new bestsellers, epic poems to bedtime stories. We're glad you came along. We hope you find this discussion as provocative and inspiring as the books themselves. Want to join the great conversation? Stay tuned. You've come to the right place. Welcome back to Bibliophiles, everyone. Adam Andrews with you once again, along with my wonderful family, the Center for Lit crew, my wife, Missy. Hi. My son, Ian. Well, hello. And his wife, Emily. Hello. Hi, guys. Guess what? 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 It is a frabjous day. Frabjous? Yes. A frabjous day? Kalu, Kalei. That's right. It is a wonderful day, an auspicious day. I have the great pleasure and honor and privilege of announcing today... That my wife, Missy, wife of my youth, <laughs> has this day completed the homeschool project of her Woo-hoo! life. I did. Yay! I'm done. Well, at least with the in-class hours. Today, she taught her last homeschool class to our youngest son, Charlie, who's getting ready to graduate from high school and has completed a K-12 through homeschool education for all six of her kids. Congratulations, my love. Thank you. That is quite a pile of work. It was a pile of work. I actually figured it out. I figured out how much work it was. Are you ready? Yeah, I didn't know you'd done this. I did, yeah. I figured out that I did 23 years of formal homeschooling, starting um, when you, Ian, were four years old to the present time. So 23 years of formal homeschooling. Some people say homeschooling begins at birth because, you know, you're teaching your child from the moment that they're born all the way up, right? Anyway, if that's true, then I've been doing this for 27 years. So if we say that if we're, if we're conservative and we say it was 23 years of formal homeschooling, that makes 828 weeks of homeschooling. Um, and if we say we were homeschooling five days each week, that makes 4,140 weekdays of homeschooling. Wow. That's incredible. That actually makes me want to cry just a little bit. And if we if we go ahead and, and go with the um, less conservative estimate, it was 27 years, 972 weeks, and 4,860 work days. And in none of those days did any of your kids push back or give you any trouble, <laughs> did they? Especially and, not your oldest. And in none of those days did I ever push them or give them any trouble either. (laughs) Well, it's all... Let's just say mistakes were made. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, in honor of this great day, um, by the way, just for for general knowledge, Missy and I have been planning things to do instead of homeschooling uh, in the weeks and months to come. Uh, I think we're going to take a cruise. That's Mm -hmm. what I keep saying. You keep saying it. I haven't seen tickets yet. Well, give me time. Okay. it was, we get 27 years earning the right to think about it. So I may take a minute to arrange the thing. But I did want to um, read a work of literature, a very short work of literature, a poem, actually, uh, in honor of the occasion, and uh, maybe just discuss its relevance to this frabjous day for a minute or two. Let's see what you guys think of it. It's Robert Frost, After Apple Picking. Are you familiar with it? Very. Ian and Emily, you guys know this poem? 
I, I think I have read it before, but it has been a long time. I know for sure that you've read this before because I assigned <laughs> it to you. Because in year, <laughs> Low these many years ago. <laughs> in year 11 of the homeschool project aforementioned, I made you read it. Well, anyway. It's been a minute since year 11. <laughs> After Apple Picking by Robert Frost goes like this. My long two-pointed ladder sticking through a tree toward heaven still. And there's a barrel that I didn't fill beside it. And there may be two or three apples I didn't pick upon some bough. But I am done with apple picking now. Essence of winter sleep is on the night, the scent of apples. I am drowsing off. I cannot rub the strangeness from my sight I got from looking through a pane of glass I skimmed this morning from the drinking trough and held against the world of hoary grass. It melted, and I let it fall and break, but I was well upon my way to sleep before it fell, and I could tell what form my dreaming was about to take. Magnified apples appear and disappear, stem end and blossom end, and every fleck of russet showing clear. My instep arch not only keeps the ache, it keeps the pressure of a ladder round. I feel the ladder sway as the boughs bend, and I keep hearing from the cellar bin the rumbling sound of load on load of apples coming in. For I have had too much of apple picking. I am overtired of the great harvest I myself desired. There were ten thousand thousand fruit to touch, cherish in hand, lift down, and not let fall. For all that struck the earth no matter if not bruised or spiked with stubble, went surely to the cider apple heap as of no worth. One can see what will trouble this sleep of mine, whatever sleep it is. Were he not gone, the woodchuck could say whether it's like his long sleep, as I describe its coming on, or just some human sleep. What do you think? Appropriate? Mm, this beautiful. This particular poem, um, I've got a history with this poem. <laughs> this poem I read, I was introduced to it when I was a senior in college and was getting ready to graduate with a lit degree and planning a wedding that would happen four days after graduation and writing two senior theses as I planned that wedding away from my mother and your mother. Um, my mother? Yeah, basically overwhelmed by all of the demands on my time and I'm just coming to the end of my my formal education at that point in my history and feeling like this you know I I actually took a portion of it and we have a scene there's a senior walk at Hillsdale College and the seniors get to paint um, messages on the walk and leave them for other students to read you know, some of them are specific um, I'm leaving a message for so-and-so, go find it on the senior walk, right? And others are more general. And I just, I just put, but I am done with apple picking now, hmm. you know, because it just is pregnant with this sense of um, the end of a thing that is good, a harvest, a great harvest, yeah, right? And all of the work that's entailed in the harvest, um, that's really what this poem is about. It's about it's uh, the speaker's an orchardist, an apple farmer, and he's been bringing in the harvest. And he's come to the end of 
the time that he had for it and the endurance that he had for it, his capacity to harvest. Um, and it's, it's a meditation on his, largely on his humanity, his, his psychological response to coming to the end of this thing, the kinds of questions that are in his mind as he admits the limitations that he's bounded by in the project. Well, there, I see a couple of things that he's saying that are, are not exactly... He's saying more than one. He's having more than one realization, it seems. And the, the one you mentioned first comes in in that line where he says, for I've had too much of apple picking. I'm overtired of the great harvest I myself desired. There's a sense that he's, that he's exhausted at the end of this project and is glad to be leaving it behind, right? Mm-hmm. Because of its because of the magnitude of it, that it's taken it out of him, right? Yeah, and, and you know everybody would agree that a harvest of apples is a good thing. It's not that he's sorry for the harvest. It's just that he has done what he can and he's come to the end, right? And he's basically admitting human fatigue and um, no longer desires the good thing that he set out to desire because he's oversaturated in large part. So are you, do, you, do you admit that that's your own uh, perspective here at the end of your great homeschool well, project? Well, if I just, you know, if I borrow his metaphor, yeah. I think this is a really apt description of um, how I feel at the end of the homeschooling project. I've been apple picking, so to speak, for all of these years, and it's been really, really good. And now I am at the end of it, at the end of my time, my time has run out with my kids, to do this thing. And it's so funny, even here at the end, I'm thinking, oh, but there's that one last book. Oh, but there's that one last class. Oh, but there's that one last subject. And did we, did we grab that one? And did we discuss this one? And did we complete that one? And there are all of these opportunities. There's an opportunity cost with admitting that you've come to the end. Well, that, I was thinking though, that that's the, that's the opposite or not the opposite, but that's the other thing that comes out in this poem, the other realization, not the, I'm tired of this, but oh no, it's over. And that's not a good thing because. Well, it's a combination of those two right, things, there right? Was, there was, there are things left undone. Yeah. I mean, listen, I have had too much of apple picking. I'm overtired of the great harvest I myself desired. There were 10,000, thousand fruit to touch, cherish and hand, lift down and not let fall. For all that struck the earth, no matter if not bruised or spiked with stubble, went surely to the apple cider heap as of no worth. There's the thing, as of no worth. One can see what will trouble this sleep of mine, whatever sleep it is. And what Can't is you it? just hear the regret in that? The um, uncertainty? The uncertainty of, um, was it enough? Will the work pay off? What will become of the labor, right? Because it was laborious. This, this, um, it, this verbiage about um, the actual work of apple picking. Go ahead, Ian. Jump in. Isn't it? Isn't cider yummy? Well, that's, I was looking at your face on the video and I could see that going through your head. I love cider. Cider's <laughs> freaking great, man. It's and great. Then, like on the one hand, like I think it's maybe even a more subtle metaphor than you're giving him credit for. Like, yeah, I've, I mean, I, I think there's something bodily about it here too. Like the, the stuff that you're pulling out that's, that's, that's true about work and about long projects coming to an end, all of that is absolutely there. But there's another sense of this whole thing to take from the physicality of it. I mean, he talks about the ladder or the ladder rung yeah. uh, impressed on his instep. And there, there's habit in all of this that is hard to break. 
but I don't think it's necessarily bad that the that he's dropped some apples that they, and then they go to the cider. I mean, maybe there's even an acknowledgement that things fall as they fall, and that there's that there's good in both the well cradled apple and the not so well cradled apple. Because you eat one and drink the other one. Yeah. Well, we hope so. Right. I mean, but he does say as of no worth. It went surely to the apple cider heap as of no worth. Like, I just see that as I'm, like I said, robbing his little metaphor and applying it to my own set of circumstances as these, these dropped moments, these missed opportunities, these um, possible teaching moments, right? Which are, you know, every teacher has them and sometimes we drop them. But when you're a homeschool parent, I think it's graver, in a lot of ways. You can easily imagine that it's graver. Yes. Um, when they're your own children and, and you're so invested in the project and their lives seem to hinge on it, you know, those teachable moments. Um, we know those of us who invoke the sovereignty of God are not really pregnant with all of the possibilities, but they feel invested with, with such moment. They feel like they're so significant. And what about those that fell? Because I know some of them did. I on know my watch, that even. on my watch, some of those opportunities were missed opportunities. Some of them fell to the ground and went to the apple cider heap. The, as the apples are opportunities, not children though, right? Oh, yes. Okay. Absolutely. We threw Billy away. Yeah, well, <laughs> the apples were children. I'm on the cider heap. No. I to the cider heap as of no worth. I mean, maybe I got ahead of myself. I'm just, where the metaphor is concerned, I see the harvest metaphor as the work of the educator in educating the student and the apples themselves as um, the various opportunities for learning, whether they're, if you're a lit teacher, they're the books that you're reading and the discussions you're having with your students, or if you're teaching all the subjects as I was, they're all of the opportunities, all of the, the, the bountiful opportunities to harvest, right? To, to educate. I, I, th I see a parallel in every, uh, any performance of any task, mm -hmm. you know, any, any produce of, a, of your work you look back from the perspective of just about finishing and look back and see all of its imperfections or yes. all of its missed opportunities and uh, probably pretty easy to maybe depending on your personality to take Robert Frost's uh, kind of weary tone, weary and, well, and, and semi-anxious tone. There's this, this exhaustion associated with production, right? But I don't hear that from you, Ian. You seem to be, you seem to, to bring a more of an optimistic cast to this are, we're all shocked i'm sure no, i'm not shocked um, i just it <laughs> seems appropriate to mention well i think that there there are some lines that stick out to me that give it a little bit more of a it, perhaps it is weary but weary with a sort of uh smile about the eyes if you will he's falling asleep right and he's earned the sleep mm -hmm. he's worked his tail off essence of winter sleep is on the night the scent of apples i mean who hasn't felt like that you've been running around maybe just when you're a kid but you're running around outside and it's fall and you don't want to go inside because it's so deliciously cool out there mm -hmm. but still you've been running though and you're exhausted and when your parents finally make you come inside there's a kind of sleep that is so unique and it's so delicious and that the moment of falling asleep you try and make it last as long as you possibly can because it's just so great that is definitely the kind of moment that he is reflecting in. And I think he pulls that back out again, talking about the woodchuck who has successfully brought in a harvest and is going now to hibernate and all of that good sort of thing. And so I, there's, there's a, an element of reward a, in this from mm -hmm. your, in your reading. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah. can see that there's an element of reward that we can perceive in the project that I'm talking about, but I don't see a lot of optimism in what Frost is saying. I think his tone is much more um, melancholy and meditative. You know, he's, he's ambiguous mm. about whether, it, it, and that's in keeping with other things he wrote, like the, the road less taken. I, I took the road less taken and that has made all the difference. And he doesn't say really whether that difference is good or bad. It's ambiguous. We can't okay, know. Okay, but if it is ambiguous, if it is ambiguous, there's at least as much evidence one direction as the other, right? Okay, well, we can argue it about that. can't be ambiguously sad. We can talk about whether or not there's it's ambiguity sad here. or it's not. But what I mean <laughs> to say is that there is, there is an ambiguous nature to the project. There just yeah. is. And at this stage, standing at the end of the thing, tired, exhausted mm-hmm. from the project, and looking, trying to look towards the next season, like through the hoary, the, the pane of glass that he pulled off of the drinking trough, right? Yeah. This, this um, first sign of the next season, right. right? And he tries to look at the world uh, and see clearly through this pane of glass, and everything looks distorted, yeah. right? Everything is very unclear. The, the next stage, what will it be? I don't know. It just seems strange, and I let it fall. All I know is that I'm really, really tired, and that I'm done with apple picking now. And the um, the dream that he describes, the dreaming that um, his sleep is about to take, this continuation of the work. I think we've all had dreams like this before, where you're you're doing an activity over and over and over again, and then you're doing it in your sleep, sort of like um, when you've been traveling for a long time. Um, and you finally get out of the car, it feels like you're still driving. You can still feel the movement of the car and the vibrations in your body and everything still feels like you're moving down the road. <laughs> I think this is what he's talking about in terms of the sleep that he has in the night. He, he, he still feels the arch in his instep, the ache of his foot on the ladder. It keeps the pressure of a ladder round. So his foot is kind of bent over it. He feels the ladder swaying as the boughs bend. And he keeps hearing this rumbling sound of, sound of load on load of apples coming in. And I suspect that this is, this is going to be in my sleep for a while, too, mm. if those apples are education and the teaching mm. of my children. Mm. I think I will um, still be busy in my sleep with this activity for months before I finally come to rest kind of like a, I don't know, it takes a while for the, the motion to run down. Emily, I, I want to ask you specifically, do you, uh, based on your own experience, your own personality, your own reading of this poem, does this resonate with you as you've come to the end of projects or come to the end of you know, life passages that of the kind he might be alluding to? Well, I want to go back to something Ian was saying about the cider because I think that he's right that that kind of is a deeper metaphor than maybe at first glance, because I am the kind of person who is paralyzed by the missed opportunity mm-hmm. and the, the potentiality of things. And I can, and I can see that there's a loss there that is grieved and he grieves it in the poem, but apple cider is yummy and that is a good outcome. And so I think I, I think it would be interesting to kind of draw that out, especially with the metaphor of homeschooling and projects and coming to the end of things, that there is a grief associated with the missed opportunity, but also 
it's it's good to be limited like something good comes out of the limitation mm. Mm. i think i agree with you i don't know if i don't know if frost agrees with us or not but i agree with you i think that's true well if don't you think though that if you wanted it to be entirely negative and i agree with you that it's melancholy and meditative but if it was entirely negative then the apples would be sitting to rot and they would just rot yep but he associates it with a product cider apple apples cider. yeah also the the opening of the poem when he's talking about the sleep that's coming over him there's nothing inherently negative about the sleep no it's just human Mm-hmm. I think that I, I don't mean to say that I think you guys are worried about me. <laughs> I can hear you like, no, no, we got to tell you all the ways that this is good. And don't I, jump off I a know bridge now that I'm not jumping off any over, bridges. <laughs> I actually am really glad <laughs> to be at the end of this project. And I feel like it's been really rewarding. And I don't mean to say anything negative. I just, um, I'm here on the last day looking through this pane of glass into the next season, not able to see clearly. And the activity, I'm still busy with it. The dust hasn't settled yet. I can Mm -hmm. still feel the the ache in my own instep, so to speak. And um, there has been so much opportunity and I have had such an insatiable appetite for the project. It has has governed my life for, Mm -hmm. for a quarter of a century. And that's, that's no exaggeration. It has, mm-hmm. it has um, provided my life with vision and direction, and it has been an object, a worthy object to grasp all these years. Yeah. And now here I am, and, and I, it's come to, to a conclusion, and, and life will continue to go on. What will it look like? I don't know. It's, it's been so long that um, everything looks kind of strange. Everything looks really strange, not only looking forward, but looking back. And I I had a conversation with a friend this week, um, and I don't think she would mind my sharing it as long as I don't share her name. She said, so this was it. This was my last year to do it the way that I wanted to do it. And I didn't. I still didn't. Hmm. I still did it the way I've always done it. I had every intention. Every year I started with every intention that I was going to do it this way, and it was going to be great. And then I got to the end of the year and I realized that I didn't, that I got two months into it and I hit a wall. Mm -hmm. And then I just limped through the rest of the year doing what I could every day, living. That's why I wanted to talk about the missed opportunity, because I think that's relevant, not just to those who are at the end, but to those who are in the middle. I do too. At the beginning. And that's why, that's why I think it's really significant to talk about this because that feeling right there is, I think it's a ubiquitous human experience and that's where everybody lives really. No one can keep the pace of the first two months of school for every month that follows. And in this way, homeschooling is just a symbol of life more generally, isn't it? It certainly is. And when you get to the end of whatever the, the, the season holds, and this was a very long season of my life, but when you get to the end of what a season holds, you, there is a little disillusionment. Not disillusionment, I don't, maybe that's the wrong word. because It's I don't, a strong one. It's a strong word, and I don't mean to use it, and I don't mean to be, a, it's not a downer. <laughs> Disillusionment's the wrong word. But you look back and you see the project differently than you did the day you stood at the start line. Inevitably so. 
And it's a good thing. But you look back and, and there are question marks because you realize that the entire project was bounded in by hum- your humanity. The project was never going to look like that ideal, that platonic form, because you were going to be the one pulling it off and you're human. And so the project was bounded in even before you began, behind and before and above and below with human frailty and boundaries. Limitations. And limitations and fatigue, right? So that idea um, that to everything there's a season, I think that's a really good verse to come back around to. To everything there's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time to begin and there's a time to end. And the ending is sweet because of the sleep, the rest that it means. But here I see his sleep troubled. One can see what will trouble this sleep of mine, whatever sleep it is. His sleep is troubled because he looks back and he's not sure that it was good enough. And I think this is a very common complaint of a homeschool mom. Yeah. Was it good enough? Did I do enough? What about the holes? I remember having a woman over to dinner in the last month of her homeschooling career with her own children. And she looked at me and she said, what about the holes? You know, there are holes. I think that's such a common complaint of the homeschool mom. And that's what troubles her sleep. And he he says, were he not gone, the woodchuck could say whether it's like his long sleep that is a hibernation as I describe it's coming on, or just some human sleep. What do you think he means by some human sleep? Um, it, it, restorative? Ian, what does or? he mean? <laughs> well, I think he brings up the woodchuck because the woodchuck doesn't have any doubts about whether it was enough that he gathered. He just gathered until it was time to go to sleep and then went to sleep. That's where he's, he's gone to, by the way. Mm-hmm. He's, he's hibernating sleep. already. He's checked out. He's already checked out and hibernating. And so the, if he says... The woodchuck would tell me if he weren't already sleeping, whether he has worries like these or if these worries are just human. In other words, whether it falls only to those of us cursed with a consciousness yeah, to yeah. wonder if everything is going to be okay. Yep. But I think that, um, and, and it's, it's Frost, so like you said, he, he thrives on ambiguity, but the, the woodchuck's life sounds pretty good. Hang in there, uh, no Ian. No kidding. I once told dad, man, I wish I was a cow. And he looked at me, he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, think about it. They just chew their cud. They sit around and look. I'm so glad this is on the air. They just enjoy. They just enjoy what they see, right? They're not thinking too hard about their life. You know, they're just, they're just in the moment. And as a human being, that's never the case. I mean, we are told to practice presence, right? And we do um, various things to try to be in the moment and to experience things and be present in in the things of our life. But the reason we have to do this is because we're not actually like the beasts, just living in the moment. We think. We're thinking creatures. We can watch ourselves think. He's he's in his wistful longing after the woodchuck's lot at the end of this poem, though. He's pointing a direction for us that maybe he can't actually go, Robert Frost, I mean, because he is afflicted with a particular kind of melancholy that very well may make him a great poet and a great observer of all things human, but it doesn't make him but a very happy... It doesn't make him a very happy guy. And, yeah. I, and I think he could learn from the woodchuck something that all, of, all finishers of great projects could stand to learn as well, which is the sleep of the laborer is sweet when he lays down his shovel. 
And I, and I think that's what the, I mean, I think both of those things are, are impinge upon us at the end of a, of a project and are impinging upon you, Missy, at the end of this homeschool project. On the one hand, there's the Robert Frostian anxiety about missed opportunities and the, the pressure of the ladder round on your instep and the fact that it won't leave you alone just yet. But there's also the opportunity for a woodchuckian hibernation, too. Well, and I, I kind of tend to come down on the human sleep side because of this. Here's the deal. Um, of course, we're creatures, and so it is hibernation in the sense that it's seasonal, right? We've come to the end of the season. It's time to sleep. Sure. But we're human beings, and the human sleep is inevitable. There's a little death in everything. And I don't think we need to wink at it or be Pollyanna about it to try to encourage ourselves because as a Christian, I see that the remedy for the human sleep is the resurrection, that there's resurrection to anticipate at the end of a thing. And that in spite of the missed opportunities, in spite of the fact that, that my humanity has bounded the effort, there is a divine resurrection to look forward to that I think will touch all things natural and recreate them. That gives me hope at the end of this project that I wouldn't have if I were truly, if, if humanity and ma material things, that is, if, if humanity and the natural world were all that was, then I think I would probably be left with much of Robert Frost's tone Right. But the reality of the resurrection inspires me to read this poem and look beyond it. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Look beyond the human sleep for a resurrection. I don't know. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I love that. I think that's totally gorgeous. I definitely wasn't trying to be Pollyanna. Well, um, I, I, that, that sounded like an accusation. Oh, it usually does. I'm used well, to it. Um, you're used to, yeah. used to me after all these years. <laughs> By I the know. way, dear listeners, this is about how it went in, during the homeschooling process between us two as well. Um, <laughs> Along about year 12 No, I just was going to say that the, that the resurrection empowers us to do lots of different things, some of which have to do with hope for heaven after the death that's coming for us all. And other things have to do with joy in the midst of all of this, despite the death that's coming for us all, like cider and sleep. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I was gonna say one of the nice things about the woodchuck, whether I, I agree we have the consciousness, and this is not perfectly achievable. But the great thing about the woodchuck image is that you're right. He didn't worry about whether he was gathering enough or if he was gathering the right things. The truth at the end of the day is something else filled the gaps for him. And, and this is outside the world of the poem, but the it is. there's a there's a providence in all things, right? That orders the natural world. And that's well, why and I think he doesn't have to worry about it. It's not entirely outside the poem because Frost asks about it. I mean, what do you think about that, Mama? He, he points out the woodchuck and draws the comparison. And well, I, I want to hear, I want to hear, think along those lines. I want to hear Emily's thought about that first. And then let's go back to mom. Do you, do, how would you respond to Ian's, to Ian's point that the woodchuck's in the poem at Frost's behest? So maybe he is, maybe we can't well, find it there. That obviously doesn't draw in image, Christ imagery, but you don't have to be a Christian to say, look, the woodchuck isn't worrying about this. What, what is it? That opens the question of what is it that allows the woodchuck to hibernate in peace? And I think that's a valid question. In, in other words, it may be something besides just lack of a consciousness. 
Well, yeah, I mean, because we still have little woodchucks that run around, even though they weren't anxious about their existence, yet they exist. Mm -hmm. What say you, Mama? I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know what to, to think about that. I think it's an interesting um, conclusion to the poem. Well, I do too. And I think that, that the poem, this particular example of Frost's work and Frost in general, does present us with this sort of um, irascible Darkness. melancholy. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's consistent with his voice mm-hmm. in all of his poetry. He's just not too sure. And, and it's not a, a hopeful not too sure. I it, mean, he's a modernist after all, you know. But I, um, I think it's really interesting that he... Uh, in common with all great poets, sees something about the human condition that mm-hmm. is applicable to darn near everyone in one way or another. And the the question that I think you're sort of getting at, Missy, is can we see what he sees mm-hmm. and, identify. and embrace it and identify with it? And at the same time, is there hope to see beyond it? Yeah, and I to think... Something that, that legitimizes all of this all these projects, all this apple picking. Because I don't think that this poem was necessarily written to answer a question. It was written to ask one. To pose one, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's writing this poem in order to express human frailty, boundaries, fatigue, and question, right? This, this uncertainty. Um, regret might be a strong word, but missed opportunity. And he doesn't answer the question. He leaves the question at the end. I think that's okay because we can, we can identify with him in the gray area that he's living in the poem and acknowledge that it's, it's a, an element of human life and activity. Mm-hmm. And then we can leave the poem and ask the question ourselves and maybe come up with some, some answers. I mean... I think Christianity has some answers to these questions that encourage our hearts in the midst of the gray areas, because everything is at the end of a project of such magnitude, everything does look really distorted. I wonder if that's part, if that also occurs just by virtue of the differences in people's personalities. Well, I knew you were going to say that because it is true that I am a melancholic. You knew I was going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Yes. Maybe this is just a personality so long. Yeah. But you know everything I'm thinking. Before well, I, I did say know it. you were going to say that, <laughs> in particular about me, because we had this conversation. I was going to actually before. open it up to all of us. I, I sense that perhaps we have four different personalities here in the room that may have reacted to not just Frost's poem, but the idea of coming to the end of a project and looking back on it and having a variety of reactions. I mean, go ahead, Emily. I'll do you one better. I can't even get started with things because of your fear of this right by dropping the apples yeah yeah i know what you mean so the threat of the of the possibility i'm not sure i've ever dropped an apple (laughs) right there you go you are my boy (laughs) (laughs) problems what problems problems drop more apples it's just more cider for goodness sake more cider cider is great no but i mean in all seriousness the the thing that strikes me about the end of a project is i'm done and I mm-hmm. think, but, but and well, he says that there's relief in it and there's, there's accomplishment and there's, um, there's rejoicing because of the, you know, the free time I'm going to have now or whatever. But I wanted to say this though, that my, um, my, <laughs> this, I do not mean this in any bad way. My long experience with you, yeah, love of whatever. my life. You don't has, mean this in any bad way. <laughs> but also though, the way that you've taught me to read poetry since we have been together has been really good for me because it's, 
I am kind of a Pollyanna, I think. And it's easy for me to, because of my, my buoyant personality, to shove this kind of thinking under the rug and, and ignore it when the truth is there's something to what Robert Frost is saying. There is something, um, there is something difficult about the human situation. There's suffering. That it's healthy to, to look square at and embrace. That I think, I think it's so interesting the way you started this podcast with, oh, Frab just day. Right? Kalu, Kalei. Oh, it's a rejoicing, a day of celebration. We're at the end. Yay. When I get to the end and I'm like, wow, this is it. And it doesn't feel like I'm crossing the finish line with my breast stretched forward, right? And I'm, whoo, I am triumphant. I am victorious. It just feels like I had the government class this morning and we graded his last two assignments and took some quizzes and, you know, He's got a test that he's still got to do on his own time, and I'll grade it later. And it was very ordinary. Everything was very ordinary about this. The reason that I mention is because in the same way that I have had the occasion to learn important things about how to see the world by reading poetry with you, you could stand to pay attention at the end of a project to how you're supposed to look (laughs) off in the future. (laughs) You could learn from me and Ian. Well, I have been. I have been looking (laughs) off into the future, and what I see is all through a glass darkly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know right. what I mean? Or through, a, or through a pane of ice a off the pane of ice, yes. a hoary grass. Yeah. The, gorgeous, the drink, the, gorgeous image, by the way. The pane of glass skimmed from the drinking trough that makes the world look strange. I mean, yeah. there's no way to peer forward into the future and know what's coming next. And frankly, he's looking at the world, not just the future, through that pane of glass. And it mm-hmm. distorts everything. The project itself looks distorted. Mm. So that he just lets it fall. And he says, I was well upon my sleep before it fell. You can't look too hard at it because it's so distorted. You have an unclear, um, unclear perspective in some ways. You would think that at the end, looking back, you can see the whole thing in its totality and it's all very clear, but it just isn't so. I think that it, it is taking me as much faith at the end of things, looking back on it, as it took at the beginning of the thing, looking forward, maybe more. Mm. Because at the conclusion, there's no opportunity to change it. There's no, I'll get it right next year. Because the last year is in the book. There's no, I'm going to do it just the platonic way that I always dreamt I would. Because the opportunity for that, that window closed on me. Today. Today. Yes. And so, you know, I got to let it drop. I got to let the the glass melt and take that sleep. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know how Robert Frost did it. I don't know how he did it. Uh, Just hoping against hope that it was enough um, to just exploit the metaphor a little more with him those loads on loads of apples coming in and those that are still up there in the boughs. I mean, my son actually, uh, my youngest has worked in an orchard several years running. And he's talked about that, about the fact that all the way up until the last day of the picking, you know, there's still more up there on that tree Mm -hmm. and it represents money. That's money hanging up there on the tree, but the frost is coming and so you're working, you're working, you're pulling, you're pulling, you're cramming more, more than you can possibly do in a day into the 24 hours in order to, to really capitalize 
on the opportunities that are hanging up there on that tree. But then the frost comes and it's over. It's just over. You're bounded in by natural things. And um, I think that's what this, is, this poem's really about. Well, I happen to know what Robert Frost did about it. He published. And I also happen to know that the dropped apples did produce a particularly fine vintage in your life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of apple yeah. cider. Because I am having the great privilege of laying out your first book. And we don't have an official publication date for it. And you're not allowed to talk about it because I don't want you to say anything <laughs> about it. Uh, <laughs> not a word. Mom not is not word, allowed mom. to speak. Emily, continue in that speak. vein, if you would, please. Well, we don't have an official publication date, but uh, it is happening. We are going to have a book. Was that was that sentence supposed to be? We are going to have a baby, and then and the company is having a bit. We are going to have a book. <laughs> it's a little bit we like that, at Center it? for Lit are giving birth. I can tell you, it feels like it. <laughs> we are going to have anyway, a book. If you listeners like anything that you heard today, get real excited. <laughs> that is a wonderful little teaser. Exciting. Yeah, we should. Um, we're just gonna let it stand at that. Yeah, I that's all we can say. Have right a great now. day. That was awesome. <laughs> we got to get out of here before Mama says something and ruins um, the whole thing. I will. I will <laughs> go ahead and adjourn us. Um, Missy, thank you for your comments about Robert Frost's poem. Thank you for suggesting it, and, that, and I think that was a very appropriate conversation to have. Um, I also want to offer one more word of congratulation, um, and to you as my wife and the mother of my children, and the person that was in the trenches for all those years. Uh, doing all that work for for me as well as for them and for yourself. Uh, I just want to say in front of all the listeners how proud I am of you. Oh, that make me cry. It's just been a ple- it's been a, a pleasure and a privilege to watch you go to work all these years. So well, and on the air on behalf of the rest of the siblings as well, we are tremendously grateful. And do not think it fitting that you and I um, have a bout of intellectual fisticuffs <laughs> on your very last day of school yes. ever. <laughs> I think it's very poetic. And the, I'm, and learning, I'm learning my own object lesson. Sit down. Pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> In the words of the Proverbs, my love, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. That's very sweet. If a little corny. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you for listening, my friends. Good to be with you on Bibliophiles once again. We'll adjourn this episode and meet back here, same time, same station, very soon. Meanwhile, be sure to check out our other podcast, Radio Read Along, wherever you get your podcast content. Swing by the website, if you would, centerforlit.com and pelicansociety.com to see what we're up to in the wonderful world of the internet. Give us a rating if you get the chance and tell us how great we're doing. Tell us if you'd like to hear other topics, you'd like to hear different people, you'd like to hear us be quiet for a while. We're open to all manner of suggestions. <laughs> you want us to shut up. <laughs> meanwhile, let us know if you'd like us to just zip it. <laughs> meanwhile, off with you into the night. And until we meet again, my friends, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading. Bibliophiles is a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network. Find new episodes each month on the web at centerforlit.com, where you'll discover dozens of resources to equip and inspire you to participate in the great conversation, including the Pelican Society, a membership program for folks who love the Center for Lit approach to all things literary. 
Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, happy reading, everyone.